Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk More Movies, the show where we try and talk about movies, but we inevitably talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... Shane Clay. To his left is... Tom McLennan. Yeah, Don's back, everybody! <laughs> Fuck yeah. that heron guy. <laughs> okay, just the... the just the put settle the rumors for put past the, of last week. Were you actually at dinner at your interview? Yes, I was. Okay, Sean called, called bullshit. Yeah, I, I, called bullshit. <laughs> I had your possession on the threat. I, I nearly offered, <laughs> they offered her a contract there, man. <laughs> Luckily, the pen didn't work. Um, uh, what's crack? What y'all drinking, bitches? I'm drinking a vodka. And I've switched up from Pepsi Max to Coke Zero. I think it's a oh. nice step for me. I think it's a big moment in my life. <laughs> it's it's a fake imitation of the usual. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I, well, put it this way. It's the, what was it again? Ashtray wine that Don had in the first one? It's no ashtray wine. What are you drinking, Don? I'm seven up and running. This is my last drink for a while. Why? Yeah. He's finally, come, he's finally come out as an alcoholic. <laughs> I definitely should have had that contract there. Fucking <laughs> okay, Don, he's not pissed. That's true. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, you're not an alcoholic. No, 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 You only drink, like, sometimes all the time of an every week. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, I don't worry about that. <laughs> We're also surrounded by blankets. Oh, yeah, we've got our own fort now. Uh, they, they kind of, uh, well, according to Michael's sister, the best way to record a podcast, because apparently our previous three episodes have been amateur, you can obviously uh, email in if you think that's the case, but <laughs> if so, just stop listening. No, please, keep listening. <laughs> it's going to get better. It's going to get better. <laughs> Oh, I wonder if I plug that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we still we still have the ice inside the the, the blanket for it. It's so fucking warm in here. <laughs> no, it's so I mean, it's obviously the the listeners can't see, but it is literally three grown men, and it is an exceptionally <laughs> confined space. We are basically at a an adult version of a fucking blanket fort, and it is roasting. We've only been in there for like five minutes. I am sweating. We're going to end up nude by the end of this podcast, I reckon. <laughs> see, that's why I thought well. I should I should just done it in my shorts. Is this what you've done, it, Michael? I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'm drinking a. Uh, Vodka and apple and sour cherry Fanta. That sounds like a bit too much to me. Uh, it's do you, do you know my signature cocktail, the cherry orchard? It's no. like it's like that, but instead of the 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 alcohol of the apple and cherries, it's just a lemonade version of it. Oh, okay. I've never heard you mention that once in your life. Just my girl tonight. No, I've made you a cherry orchard before. Oh no, you have. I was really fucked up. It was good. Yeah, though. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember now. I'm just trying to handle that. It's tasty. It's my sig- signature cocktail in the sense that it's, it's, it's the easiest one that I know how to make. I remember it being exceptional. So hopefully you can you can top that tonight. I in my mind, I think of sour cherries. I don't think of apple. No, I fucking either one of. We have strawberry milkshake alcohol. Oh no, not with vodka. That's it was mine. it was you that bought me. <laughs> no, I bought it as an engagement present. I don't want vodka. Oh, okay, I'll know. Okay, uh, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I've been watching again based on a recommendation of yours, Goon, which I, I really really liked. Everything that you said in the podcast last week was exactly right. 
I've always been kind of had a must with Sean William Scott. I yeah. like the American Pies when I was like, you know, a teenager, maybe 12 or 13. And then I think he kind of grew out of them and you realise it's just really juvenile humour. And Sean William Scott, that stuff was fucking super annoying. That's kind of what he's known for. But he is so lovable and good. Yeah, oh my God, he's, he's like, I just want to hug him. He's just, he seems like the nicest guy on earth. And his performance and his character just really drives the film forward, I think. Without that performance, it still would have been a good enough film, but nowhere near as engaging. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't really kind of focus on Goon because obviously you talked about it about last week. Uh, another thing I watched this week was um, Sun City 2. Can I just interrupt you for a second? Yes. They're, they're, they're doing a Goon sequel. I know, I heard a Jay Barackle directing this thing. Uh, yeah. What's his last name? I, 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 call, I call him Barackle. Is it Barachel? What is it? I thought it was like Barachel. Oh, maybe that. Yeah, that sounds better. You always seem to have the, the wrong pronunciation of yeah, things. Yeah, I know. What did you, you say? How is it pronounced? Barachel, I always thought of it. Barachel, yeah, that sounds better. And he has French Canadian too. It sounds more kind of French Canadian. Uh, yeah, that yeah. shell part of it. That shell, yeah. Shell. In a way. But yeah, I just want to stick at him since you were talking about him. I know, and well, if anything, I'm actually pretty interested. I don't, to be quite honest, I, I'm not. I'm interested because I really like Goon, but a Goon sequel, I, I don't know how they would do that, but of course, uh, I mean, there's been so many sequels really that you haven't been really that interested in, and, you know, through it's the power called of screenwriting, they turned out pretty well. Goon, The Last of the Enforcers, so yep. it might be a swan song for Sean Williams. What, oddly enough, I'm going to throw in a bit of uh, NHL uh, <laughs> trivia here, I have fucking have no idea whatsoever about ice hockey or whatever, but after, like, watching Goon last week... I was just doing like some Wikipedia and stuff like that there and reading about enforcers and ice hockey and stuff and apparently now they are a dying breed because the NHL is kind of stamping down on like this kind of glorified yeah. violence in, in like hockey they're trying to get rid of that so that, last week that reference would have made sense to me there you so go. there you go I've grown as a person <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're now a big ice hockey fan oh huge Stanley Cup man Anaheim Ducks all the way <laughs> I think they're a team <laughs> I'm not quite sure you already had me beat with Stanley Cup <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I watched Sun City 2 uh, Ken, I wasn't really that interested in watching last year. Got some pretty poor reviews. I loved the first Sun City. I mean, I think I think everybody really loved the first Sun City when it first came out because it was so different visually, just fucking overpowering, amazing. But I watched Sun City too, despite all the, the criticism, because essentially I had nothing else to watch, and I was kind of in the mood for something about pulpy, something about Noari. So uh, I put it on. Don't think it's as bad as as all the hit it got. It's not, it's not great. I think that. It's a it's a very very kind of cheap and rehash of the first one, and because the first one now has been in, in the the popular kind of in, in, in uh, the the popular conscience for so long, and and because everybody knows how you know Sun City worked and its visuals, it's it's almost like it's not as effective. You know, I mean those visuals yeah. and that kind of gritty storyline doesn't work as well anymore. Uh, also, again, it's it's you know small interlinking stories, but what I found in Sun City is that essentially three of the stories are all fair enough driven by revenge which is obviously a very basic theme in, in a lot of stories but they're essentially identical it's like watching the same money film three times on repeat <laughs> oh, and yeah. the dialogue obviously Sun City's always been meant as kind of like a, a pastiche like a loving sort of parody of a film noir in a way but it's weird with this film because some lines are in there and you're not quite sure if it's a loving parody or it's just really <laughs> bad writing and they're trying to do good noir <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. so Sometimes you kind of cringe at the, at some of the, the, the overly peppered dialogue, we'll say. But uh, another thing about Sun City 2 that I'd, I'd say that I, I didn't really like is it just ends out of fucking nowhere. I'm not going to spoil it, but it is the most abrupt end. A girl says a line, basically, and you think that the film is, is going to go on from there and see the ramifications of it, and it just ends. And considering that that was in development hell, I think, for like seven or eight years... I thought it was going to be so much more fleshed out because the comics are really rich and they've got a lot of depth to them. 
and I, I thought that they, that they could have had like a, a really strong narrative but it's actually the narrative it, it's a complete another example of style over substance because uh, obviously the visuals are always going to be excellent you could you could do anything in that style and it's always going to look good and i mean you could maybe have a kind of paper film plot and get away with because the, the visuals hook you on so much but the the plot and the, and the writings to me kind of non-existent and it just threw me completely there's only so long you get stare at those images when you don't give a fuck about what's happening on the screen <laughs> yeah. like, you know what i mean don have you watched anything? I haven't watched a single film this week. Oh. <laughs> Again, the contract of hair. Maximus. Not here last week. Fucking didn't watch film. Not drinking anymore. What's it's, the it's, point? It's, it's like you don't even want to do this now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Work. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are you doing having an actual job? I know. Uh, an actual crazy. life outside of this podcast. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you get hair on the fucking speed then, Lou. Well, luckily, we, we both watched two films this week, so we have a lot to talk about. Oh, I watched my, I, I went on a fucking film binge this week. I think I watched like seven or eight or something like that. This week. Okay, I, I, I watched, watched two. <laughs> okay, well, you go on to your ones. Um, it was a bit of a weird one because I've had a intelligent robot week this week. I've watched Chappie and Ex Machina. Oh, you don't watch a bicentennial then? Come on. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> See, I seen that once so many years ago. I can't even mind if it was good or not. Yeah, even as a wean, a child looking at it, I thought that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> even as a child, I thought like this is kind of really overly sentimental, and I think I was like seven. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, no, yeah, Chappie and Ex Machina for being kind of similar in the sense that they both have intelligent, conscious robots in them. They're both they're very different films. Yeah. Chappie's a big action film, and it people people were saying it wasn't that great. No, I think as you said about Sin City, it's not as bad as people are saying it yeah. is. But it's given me most Neil Blomkamp films that the best part about it is Shadow Copley, mm. uh, because it was the best thing in Elysium and best thing in District Nine. Oh, District Nine was amazing. Elysium was just alright. But uh, yeah, Shadow Copley plays Chappie, and Chappie's the thing you want to see in the film. Hugh Jackman really lets the film down. He's just a bad film. Really? Like a stock? It's, it's just so weird because he's like the most Australian man in the world and he's saying these like Australian phrases that it, you just get fed up with him saying it and yeah, it's do, just, do, you do just you want that... rid of Hugh Jackman and you just want to see Chappie. You know? Is it so much Hugh Jackman's performance or is it bad writing? I'd say it's probably more bad writing. Yeah, is it like kind of Australian stereotypes like good eye mate? And... No, like he says stupid like they're going after Chappie and oh actually why would a super villain say good day mate <laughs> that's, that's beside the point <laughs> no, but like they're going after Chappie and Hugh Jackman's like born the boys like oh he might look like an ordinary robot but he's as bad as a wombat and a fucking oh, whatever just, like, really, like phrases like that, that. like but trying uh, to get on as much Australian imagery as possible <laughs> in this sense to just fucking force home the fact that this man is Australian <laughs> yeah, basically. I think we got it from his fucking accent like two seconds in but and for slagging off you, Jack, I did really enjoy the film. You have to kind of buy into the ending a bit, but if you can buy into it, it's a good ending. But uh, yeah, I, I did really just enjoy watching Chabby, the actual robot in it. And just, I really enjoy New Blomkamp's style and the really realistic visuals. And like, yeah. there is not a, there's not a frame in that film you don't think uh, Chabby's a real robot like. Yeah. And th- that's just what he's best at. I mean, just that really visual, like realistic style, like, and I, I really just love watching his films because of that. I think when uh, District Nine first came out, there was a, a, I think it was a nice bit of praise for Neil Blomkamp, and that was only when that film was out. Obviously, they hadn't seen what it could do with, with visuals and Elysium and, and Chappie, but they said that uh, the aliens in 
in District 9. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of films, even if, the, like the, I think I brought this point up last week, even if the CGI is like so, so good, you're always aware that it's that's an effect. Mm-hmm. But I think one reviewer says that it's it's almost like, it's it's a man in a suit, but it's just an unbelievably well done, but a fucking latex because he looks that real and he, yeah. and it looks like he's actually there mm-hmm. with Cheryl Copeland. It's not him fucking acting, be a man with wee fucking tennis balls all over him. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> And uh, that's incredible. I don't know why he does. I mean, that's his background in it. He's like a three D artist or something, so he obviously knows what he's doing. But it's just watching his films, I think, are amazing. Hopefully, he kind of moves away from that. That like he's done a trilogy of that kind of style now, and yeah. that you would say all those three films look very the same. And the, I think narratively, for me, I, they seem quite similar. Yeah, exactly. He's basically, same but, challenge himself a bit. But well, he's doing the new Alien film now, so yeah. he's he's done his trilogy of kind of Johannesburg films. I'm not sure if Elysium was Johannesburg, but... We'll uh, say it for the record. Uh, well, it was basically Johannesburg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's moving on to Alien now, so I'm really excited what he can do with like an established franchise and bring his style to that kind of... But yeah, Ex Machina, completely different film. I really, really want to see it. I it's really want to see it. It's so good. It just... Like, if, you had to, if I'd laid out, like, told you the entire plot, not <clears> that <throat> much happens. Yeah. But it just, it holds you the entire way through the film. You're so, just, the entire time, you're just trying to work out what's going on. And you're just, you're in it. And, like, normally, like, if I watch a film, like, every so often, flick on my phone, watch. I was just watching yeah. this film. It just holds your attention so well. It's so, such a good film. I think every film's like that. I mean, you could be watching one of the best films ever. And, I mean, like, it's even as an adult, you know, if you're 26, 27, you know, 47, whatever. Your attention's always going to be drawn away for even a minute or two, but it's always a sign of a really great film. There's been a couple of times where I've been sitting, say, watching this phenomenal film, and I've just kind of realised that I haven't moved yeah. in like 55 minutes, whereas, mm. you know, usually you'd be kind of looking at your phone, or you'd maybe be eating something, or taking a drink, or maybe sometimes you might even pause the Google Talk or but you're just flowing, just wanting mm. to know what's coming next. You're hooked on. Um, he tells us about, about the, the plot of X Michael. Um, Essentially, it's a. Uh... Donald Gleason, he, he works in this big search engine company, but there's a competition within the company to visit and stay for a week with the owner of the company, who is this like Steve Jobs-esque genius. Oscar Isaac, isn't it? Uh, Oscar Isaac. And so Donald Gleason wins, so he gets to go to his house, which is in the middle of nowhere. He owns like the entire land around it. And it's basically like a private island or something. Yeah, like so Xanadu, goes, basically. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, alright. So he go, he goes to he goes to stay with him, and a uh, Oscar Isaac says to him that he makes him sign like a, a form and all, so he can't he can't say what happens during that week, and then he he makes him do a Turing test on his artificial intelligent robot. Right. A Turing test is it's a human talking to some something and three questions has they he has to establish whether or not he's talking to a human or a robot mm. it's essentially a turn test and so for the whole week he has sessions with this robot and it's he's trying to decide whether or not he has consciousness or not yeah and it's just how that plays out then it's it's kind of interesting it's amazing <laughs> i kind of got that that was the plots and uh i, I read a really good point I can't actually remember where I pulled up this point, which is probably pretty bad referencing, but it was that the uh, the best sci-fis aren't about aliens or, or spaceships or, or new worlds. The best sci-fis are examinations on what it means to be human. 
yeah. and, and what it means to, for humans to interact with another world or, or, or something that is maybe not so much extraterrestrial but something outside of our, our, our realm of understanding and I've always thought that was a cracking point I think that's why space odyssey and stuff like that works so well um, you would kind of for me anyway this is just an opinion but I think that the best sci-fi's definitely have that running through them when it is an examination of people and how people would adapt the this monumental thing happening in, in society and especially with stuff like Ice Machina where he's trying to figure out is it a robot or, or, or is it a gear it's that understanding that another sort of sentient being is trying to understand emotion and, and how it means they, how people work essentially yeah. which is stuff that you don't really think about every day because you're just used to being a human aren't you? <laughs> you don't think about these things or are they <laughs> <laughs> rip my face off <laughs> lured you into my, my blanket fort for a reason <laughs> man I might take this top off Oh my word! Oh, Shane Cole's getting naked. Ooh, I'm not under two boys. yourselves. Oh Jesus! You, have, have you shaved your chest recently? No, I haven't. No. So I, I'm basically, I'm still wearing a top on my legs. It's gonna be a wet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we're three. What we've watched onto news. Maybe, maybe we should have a jingle for each section. Yeah. Do, do a news jingle, Don. Okay. Go now. <laughs> that's not gonna work though. That's Don, that's, I, that's me killing Don with my. It's harmonious. I think I think that, I basically think that Don's appearance tonight is just him more and more sabotaging his career on this fucking podcast. I, I, I think I think Don's just gonna pause for a minute at the end of this podcast. Like I enjoyed my time. <laughs> it's been it's been the best three weeks of my life. <laughs> tears up this contract, which obviously we do not have contract. It is, but just tears up this fake contract that he's wrote up. He's made his own contract. He threw it. <laughs> it's like it's almost like in car phones when they have to hand in like the, the their badge and they're going down just hands across his pint glass, <laughs> <laughs> slams it in the table. Okay, well, table. news. Yeah, we need a table. We need a table on it. <laughs> Um, first purchase when we start making money, which is never. Um, <laughs> <laughs> news. Okay. Uh, first news is they've announced the new names for the new name for the Planet of the Apes sequel. Oh, uh, how many fucking words does this one have? It's a dawn of the rise of the. It's a coming of the Planet of the Apes. It's a, it's still a lot of words because it's always going to have Planet of the Apes in it, so it's yeah, always going to be long. It's quite long. It's the war of the Planet of the Apes. That's not so bad. Hmm? I think it's a pretty good title. Because it's time to get fucking war going. Yeah. <laughs> ever there was a kind of franchise which fucking kicked back into gear out of nowhere, it was Planet of the Apes. Yeah. That really came in a fucking... Because, I mean, most people thought it was a dead duck after Tom Burton. I don't know. I mean, like, the Tom Burton version is so naff. <laughs> so cringe. Probably bad. The thing for me, still for me, one of the fucking worst shots in the history of cinema is the fucking Abraham Lincoln gorilla <laughs> on the monument. And you're thinking, oh, come on, Tom. Even you didn't have faith in that. <laughs> I mean, that's so fucking bad. But uh, it's been excellent. I mean, uh, what's the last... I, I can never get their names right. What was the last Dawn one? Dawn of the Planet Apes. Dawn of the Planet Apes. Both of them were absolutely excellent, but uh, especially anything with John Lithgow. Fair enough, even the first one, but uh, I'll just watch anything with John Lithgow, whatsoever. Yeah, I love John Lithgow. Did some serious dramatic acting in that, too. But, Something uh, Alzheimer's. What I liked about Dawn of the Planet Apes, the second one, was how they actually set it up for the third one now. That basically wa the war is inevitable now. Like yeah. Caesar's, Caesar's a nice guy, you know, he just yeah. wants everybody to get along. <laughs> but the war is inevitable now and he has to protect his, his apes, you know what I mean? 
protect my boys. <laughs> Gotta protect the boys, man. But, what? You, but you know what I mean? Like, I really liked how you, it's not Caesar's fault that there's going to be a war, but now he has to fight it. Yeah, he's thrust under it. Yeah. Exactly. And he, I he, love he, that. he has to step up. What is uh, pretty cool about that? I think that's a point that I completely skipped over there when I was trying to talk about the new franchise of Final Lips. Is what I really like is both the films, I, I find them kind of different from your, your standard summer Hollywood blockbuster mm. whereas most Hollywood blockbusters they have very obvious set pieces and, 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 and very obvious narratives I'm not saying that like the two Planet Lives have been extremely innovative but they seem way more struck back and way more realistic and not as concerned we big spectacle yeah. it actually seems oh my god like news alert but apparently they make a good story you have to focus on characters which is <laughs> <laughs> and the two Planet Lives have seemed to do that so far and the and fact that the best characters are apes yeah, <laughs> exactly but it's it's kind of a thing that obviously Hollywood blockbusters get so much flack that you know it is all still and no substance and the characters are, are pretty much an afterthought mm-hmm. and it's so easy to do and it makes money and as I say if, if, if it's easy for them it makes money and, and, and people like it then fair enough but I just liked that it, it, it was refreshing to see a blockbuster that you could actually watch as, at times like a, a proper drama and actually yeah. engage with the characters and not just be waiting for the next explosion I know <clears throat> especially in the second one again that the relationship between Caesar and Co- was it Koba, the bad ape. Yeah, I think it was Koba. And uh, just just their relationship and the way it changes throughout the film, and just Koba being a bastard. I know, so yeah. good though. Stop a Koba. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I I just I love uh, Andy Serkis's performance as well, and I would really love for him to get nominated <laughs> for acting. See, this is the big as debate, an ape. This, this is the big debate. You know, do, does does a uh, performance capture merit? You know, like Academy Award well, nominations and well, stuff. They they say that that is his performance. You know what I mean? I mean, they they even and it is. I mean, obviously, even it's performance capture. So they're capturing his body language, they're capturing his movement, his facial expressions. Just because there's a layer of graphic over it that makes his face. Ah, it's just like, it's just different. expensive makeup. Yeah, exactly. It's just really <laughs> expensive makeup. But yeah, I I would agree that they should. I mean, I know there was a big the one that kind of baffled me. That there was a big push for Zoe Saldana. You remember when Avatar was released? The first kind of big performance oh, capture yeah. one. When Avatar was released, there was a big push for Zoe Saldana to be like nominated for awards. Really? Her performance didn't really blow me away. I, I, I never really seen. I think people were basically just trying to start the conversation of uh, you know could it be, but her performance for me was just kind of substandard. It doesn't stick out in well, any way. What I heard was uh, at the last last year at the Oscars, they were actually pushing Andy Serkis to get in the supporting actor category. Yeah. He is not a supporting actor yeah. in that film. He's, he's the lead. Yeah, he's the lead. He's the, and, and that just that just really fucked me off because they knew they weren't going to get into the lead acting one, so they were trying to get him into the supporting acting. And it's like, no, that's not the way it works. Like, <laughs> you know, you can't say that Jason Clark was the lead of that film. Man. Yeah, I really like. I, I want them to do more film work. There's some very, uh, some very everyman about him. He's in I, the new Terminator. Is he? He's John Car- Connor. He was in what was it? Was a TV show called Chicago Hope. I think it's kind of how he made his name. He was in uh, Zero Dark Thirty as well. There's just some really realistic about him. I don't know what it is. I think it's because when you see like actors who are, are really polished and stuff like that, I mean, they, they, they look like superstars and they mm. look like somebody you would never see in real life. But he looks like somebody you could just see out in a bar. Uh, you know what I mean? And just, I think that kind of draws you to him more because it's just like your fucking dad being caught up in this big mad monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
So he's all glazed, essentially. No, <laughs> no, 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 it's not right. I'm only joking, I'm only joking. I've noticed right. as well, every podcast we've done, I think I might slowly but surely be coming out through this podcast. <laughs> every single time I'm listening to our podcast, I always, at least once every week, make a point of an actor being a very good-looking man, and I've done it about 20 minutes on this time. Well, Shan, I don't know if you've noticed this, but any conversation with you, <laughs> has that happened? <laughs> Have I just stumbled upon something? <laughs> How topical for the referendum tomorrow? <laughs> Should we give that a shout? Um, this is probably not going to be our... In, until a few weeks <laughs> yeah true enough but at the same time I mean well maybe we can well, well, we, well we, we do two different endings yeah, we'll do different <laughs> right basically obviously it's the uh, Irish referendum tomorrow to see if gay marriage is legalised which is an amazing thing and we're all for it yeah all for it oh I win what <laughs> not my dream. fuck it uh, <laughs> I am rubbing on my contract next time <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is my dawn is leaving <laughs> <laughs> I am working on a homophobe but uh, I'm joking. Yeah, sorry. it's 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 the big it's the big referendum tomorrow, and obviously we're the first country to do it. And it's 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 a big source of national pride from the exit polls and stuff like that. We, and we can't vote. We can't vote obviously because <sighs> we're in the north of Ireland, which is a big boo. But uh, from the exit polls, it seems like it's going to be a, a, a pretty big yes one. I, I hope this is the case because the people listening to this podcast yeah. are probably just <laughs> really really fucking depressing. But we're uh, so proud of fucking. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, but uh, no. Uh, Picture, picture in a couple weeks time like the no vote on Ireland's and just fucking chaos <laughs> like <laughs> fucking flames everywhere the monkeys have taken over <laughs> they come out of nowhere anyway continue oh was that your shout out okay. yeah <laughs> I just want to give a shout out it's a big thing it's a big deal yeah. okay. very rarely they talk about actual news on this so it's just yeah, it's it's true. <laughs> okay uh, Matt McConaughey has said that he's in talks with DC and Marvel yeah they play Several comic book characters. Yeah, I seen this yesterday. Uh, there's, there's one in particular, is it not? That he, that they think he's more or less signed on. No, well, come well, on, newsman, just was defeating me here. Hey, I'm, I'm trying to fucking talk. Uh, in the quote that I seen, he said he was talking to the two of them, and he's just, he's just looking to find that, like, obviously they want him for more films. So can he commit? How many films can he commit? To, and is the money right? And just yeah. as a, a good story that he wants to get involved yeah. in, basically. But yeah, he said he's talking to. DC and Marvel, so I think they're just pitching any fucking character they have just to get them in. <laughs> they just want the McConaughey's, they roll on, basically. Because, like, like Jared Leto's being the Joker now, and then if you get the other member of Dallas Buyers Club in there, then yeah, that's true. Be pretty sweet. <laughs> Maybe the Joker can become a transvestite and, I don't know, Batman well, can contract AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have any any ideas of who who would you want to see McConaughey playing DC or Marvel? None of them. None of them. You just want to. He's such, a, he's such a good fucking actor. Yeah. He doesn't need to do the whole superhero thing. Exactly. Gary Oldman made Gary Oldman made that mistake. He was a, he was the villain of the nineties. Yeah, you know I mean, he's the villain of Batman. It's like you haven't been watching Batman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but then, that's what I mean. Then he went on to do Batman. He plays Commissioner Gordon. He does a great job and all, but. Compared to yeah. his earlier work, you're sitting there and you're like, what I the mean, fuck? I mean, it's, it's kind of weird. I fucking love, I mean, I love Gary Oldman. Uh, and, I mean, everybody goes on. I mean, obviously, he was renowned as being Mr. Versatility in the 90s. He done mm. so many different roles. You had, like, the, the likes of Leon and, and True Romance. Uh, and then in the late 80s, he had Sid and Nancy and just all these varied roles. And that's what kind of made his name was being this fucking incredible actor. Yeah. And then people, like, now you're kind of clutching at straws being all... Oh, well, look at, you know, the, the depths and, and Commissioner, Commissioner Gordon's a pretty fucking stock character. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Anybody could do Commissioner Gordon. That's yeah. fucking, well, any half-decent actor. But I think that people just have this attachment to, to Gary Oldman. They want to try and make all his work, like, really 
deep and, and considered and stuff mm. like that, and it's not the case whatsoever. You should only play villains. Yeah, I'm <laughs> should only play. Uh, that, oh, you don't want to mock down in that one character. You want to play every villain. It's like, give him every, a chance. He can be a nice ever. guy. <laughs> James Bond villain. That'd be class. Yeah, it would be pretty good. Actually, you, you just surprised yourself. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was a moment. I kind of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Uh, there was a. I think it's just a teaser trailer for Jobs, Steve Jobs. Yeah, not a dog called Jobs. That's the that's the Ashton Kutcher one. Yeah, um, no. Steve Jobs. It looks pretty cool. Uh, obviously, you don't really know much about it. You obviously know what's going to be about Steve Jobs' life. You don't know what they're going to focus on. I think, but it seems it and and the dialogue you hear over that slow track of the like kind of fastbenders back that it's going to be like the maybe the creation of Apple or mm. like the creation of the first like bit of work. Uh, like they see uh, Seth Rogen dumping his toe in the dramatic pool again. Yeah, as, as the was. Yeah, <laughs> no, as the was. And he's, he, again, I think we were talking about Vince Vaughn a few weeks back. Seth I, Rogen's a pretty underrated dramatic actor too. I think he can fucking he can juggle both, no problem whatsoever. I I, I met Steve Wozniak once. What? Yeah. What the fuck is mind blowing? How? <laughs> Didn't actually meet him, but I've seen him across the room. Oh, <laughs> don't say that. No, it was uh, it was he was in Derry giving a talk at like some business conference thing. And uh, I, w- I was working in the forum. They put up, like, graphics and all for it. And as we were on stage, he walked in and the boy was showing him about the forum. And he was just all, oh, that's great. No. <laughs> are, you, I'm like, are you 100% positive that he wasn't the Yankee? Because, I mean, if he I, was, he's a pretty portly man with a beard. That could have been just a guy fucking Well, it was, either, it was either him or George R. R. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> the only two heavy men with beards on him. Oh, no, but it's not George no, but, R. Martin. He doesn't have his hat. So it's not, yeah, that's how you know. That's how you can tell the difference, you think? No, he, he was scheduled to talk to the thing. Like, no, I know he was in Derry, like, but I mean, okay. No, no, I'll give you it, I'll give you it. So you've seen him. Why would they show another man that looks like Steve Wozniak? <laughs> Steve Wozniak, your personator. My claim to fame is I once touched Dee Schneider from Twisted Sister. <laughs> I was in JFK. You know Twisted Sister? Uh, well, well, fuck, what was their song again? They have one big song. I can't remember. I wanna rock! That's, yeah. that's the one. All right. I was in JFK airport. I was thinking of Shakespeare's sister. What? Oh, no, not that. Stay. <laughs> uh, I was in JFK airport. I was coming back from New York. I think I was like 12 or 13. And I seen this big... The fact that Dee Schneider had such a big entourage was kind of fucking surprising to me. But I just seen this mass of kind of like bleach blonde hair and this kind of cut up like kind of wife beater string vest. And he had these leather jeans and stuff. And he was walking, he had these big heavies beside him. And I caught on, it was the first celebrity, well, I use celebrity loosely, but <laughs> it was the first celebrity that I'd ever fucking seen properly. I said to myself, what the fuck, that's fucking decent. And I hit Twisted Sister, but all of a sudden I was just starstruck. I was 12, don't forget I was 12. But like, he kind of walked really close by me. So instead of going like, that's hey, or something like that, I just kind of reached my hand out and grabbed the stomach. <laughs> Did like, he have any reaction to this? No, like, I, I reached my hand and grabbed the stomach. He didn't take me on, because he's used to people doing that to him all the time. But this heavy, even though I was 12, which is pretty fucked up, just fucking smacked my arm in the way and just dandered on past this big group of... Fu- well, I mean, put it what this way. What is he supposed to do that? You do you just grab his stomach? I was 12. Well, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I remember you at 12. You probably looked about 40. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's a sex offender. <laughs> He's a skinny. <laughs> Only 12 year old with fucking stubble. <laughs> and two heart bypasses. <laughs> I was a big kid. <laughs> I met an Oscar winner. Who? Glenn 
Anderson. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Oh, we're all about the Glenn. Big Frames fans. It was before he won the Oscar. Though, uh, which so is even better. <laughs> See, I knew him before the Oscar. I knew him before the Oscar. <laughs> no, was like, that Cool Discs? Uh, he was a record store <laughs> in town. He was doing like an in-store performance thing. He seems so down to earth. I know. He he gave my friend a free copy of the new album that he was there promoting because my friend was talking to him. He's like, oh, I'm really excited about getting the new thing. Just need to save up my money and all. And then he went to the boot of the car, <laughs> took oh, out a CD, so signed it for me. He's like, oh, you go, you owe me a pint. We were about 14 at the time. <laughs> oh, that would have been a Well, I wouldn't have stopped Glenn Hansard. He probably would have drug you in there. <laughs> but, you know, I was standing right next to him. Why didn't I get one? <laughs> Enough. You know what I mean? Does that hurt you, Dave? Does that it, stop it, cut you? It did hurt me because, like, I was literally just standing next to him. I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been summer just for you for fucking years, on this. See, see if I ever meet Glenn again. They'll <laughs> give me a fucking album right now. <laughs> and again, you will shit your talks. You'll be like, yeah, oh, Glenn, I, I love you. Show me your Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> he has a wee hat for his Oscar. No, he? no, he's the wee beanie hat. Somebody made him a wee beanie hat for his Oscar. <laughs> oh, yes. It's, a, it's in that, the documentary they did, The Swell Season. But yeah, Jobs Traders, or Steve Jobs Traders. Oh sure. yeah, we went a wee bit off there. Um, but um, no, one, what I wanted to say was Michael Fassbender's playing Steve Jobs, obviously, but Michael Fassbender doesn't look like Steve Jobs, but mm. this short shot you get of his face, he looks like Steve Jobs. <laughs> they, like, they, obviously, it's not hard to do opposite, like just wear a black turtleneck and jeans. Yeah. But is even his kind of expression, I mean, like I used to watch the Apple keynotes and all where like he was announcing and stuff. And he, he did look to see to have his kind of mannerisms and kind of expression, and I think he will be good. Only, I, I, would, I would go against that. I am all about the Fassbender. You know what I mean? He's one of my one of my favourite actors, definitely, of recent years. Uh, love him. I'll, I'll, I'll happily go see anything that he's on. But it kind of threw me when I seen his face, because I was like, oh. Obviously, it won't throw you that much because there's been so many biopics done where the person hasn't looked like the person yeah. they're trying to portray. I mean, but Ashton Kutcher looks like him. Yeah, I yeah. think maybe that's what it was. Maybe I was comparing it to the fact that Kutcher looked so good as him, but obviously he's a fucking horrible actor. So, <laughs> it, yeah, maybe that's what it was. But I, I have fifth in it. I mean, I always have fifth in, in Danny Boyle. I mean, Danny Boyle, one well, of the most versatile directors right there. It's an Aaron Sorkin script as well. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin's had a them. I think sometimes. Mm. I mean, obviously, well, the, the West one was good. The Social Network was absolutely phenomenal. I was actually a bit more in Mick that. Uh, my recommendation for this week, but I chose someone else, which I'll keep a real secret until the very end, oh. of course, just to keep the last note on the Netflix. But uh, if they make it that far. But uh, Aaron Sorkin, I mean, he seems to be just rehashing the stuff that made him famous in the first place. Also, a major criticism, and not just me, I mean, it's just a pretty standard criticism of Aaron Sorkin, is he does not write female characters whatsoever. Female characters are essentially there just to enable the male characters. And it should be a big criticism because it, it doesn't seem like he cares about giving women a voice in any way. I was actually really excited about The Newsroom. It was HBO's Jeff Daniels. I loved it. Aaron Sorkin was still in a bit of form at that point and I watched The Newsroom. The first episode, that opening speech, I don't know if you've watched mm. The Newsroom, is one of the most rousing things you'll ever see. And then it just falls flat on its face. First of all, because there's a lack of female voice. Second of all, because it is just actually... Characters here are so cliched and so over-the-top and it completely flies in the face of all the, the realism that he built up and all the, the small nuances that he got in like, the social network and, and the likes of the West Wing. That I was stunned. I was like, oh, certainly, but did he like write the pilot and then just kind of wash his hands with us or something? But, you know, I'm pretty like, sure he wrote that No, <laughs> like, he was a fucking, obviously a huge, the, the main creative force behind the whole TV series. Uh, although in fairness I will give a shout out to Moneyball I think Moneyball is a really nice uh, 
a nice re- reflective look at, at, at a, a certain sportsman. Uh, yeah. Billy Bean. That was a good performance by Brad Pitt, too. I really like Moneyball, actually. Yeah. Really a lot really of people don't like it because they say, like, oh, you know, like, nothing happens and stuff like that. But, I mean, you know yourself, like, you know, nothing huge has to happen in the film. It's, I think it, it's one of the, it's definitely an actor's film. It's one of those films yeah. that nothing really hugely dramatic happens, but it's all about the performance and, and obviously the writing that, that aids that performance. Brad Pitt is, is excellent on it. You know, rightfully got a, an Oscar nomination for it. And uh, it's, it's a really intriguing character. I'm sure if you're a baseball fan, it, it makes it all the better. What I heard about the Steve Jobs script, though, you know I'm a big hockey fan, was, that, uh, <laughs> was that it's actually only three scenes. And uh, it's th- it's like three behind, behind the scenes. Ta- oh, I'm saying scene too much. It's <laughs> it's a uh, it's it's backstage before three big like landmarks of Steve Jobs' career. Mm. So I think it's like the launch of the iMac, the launch of the iPod, or it's like going out to do a keynote on a big yeah. product launch kind of yeah. thing. And that's all it is. It's just three big events, mm-hmm. and that's the way it works. I, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I heard. See, that'd be an interesting take instead of getting because them... that because that would be kind of. It would just be, it would all be on the script and then the act, and then like there wouldn't be much else to kind of pick in. Like. Yeah, because I think you see we so many basic dramas, and I think that biopics really fall down in, in this regard too. And it's actually kind of more insulting when it's a biopic because you're actually doing a treatment of somebody's life, and you're you're kind of intentionally fictionalizing it. Just the I can't understand fictionalizing, you know, a, a biopic to give viewers, but when you put on this substandard, that as I like to call it, the romantic plot humor. Where you just crowbar on a romance for absolutely no reason, just yeah. to get people hooked, and it's the same romance that has been done in every single film of all time, and there's absolutely no necessity for it, and nobody now really wants to see it. You just want to actually focus on the person's life and the things that made them great and made them remarkable enough to have a biopic about them. Uh, hopefully, I'm not quite sure Kate Winslet's playing. Hopefully, that's that's not the case there, but I'm just referring to other biopics which have done it so many times. Kind of thing that happened in uh, Hitchcock, one was it? Yeah, I mean, obviously. Uh, Hitchcock's wife was a huge driving force behind him and she does not get enough credit for you know the work that he put out there but uh, well no actually no, I'm going to disagree with that <laughs> I'm going to disagree with it because I, I think that was essential the, the Hitchcock's life I, I think that I think of anything that was the first thing they really gave her kudos for, for the work that she done behind the scenes because she basically kept him sane a lot of the time like, uh, especially when he moved to Hollywood and you know, producers and you know, the, the pressures of like uh, the kind of studios that he was working with but what's the next news? Um, there's been a Flash movie announced for like 2018. Couldn't give a fuck. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not the news part. That's been announced <laughs> ages ago. But uh, the story's being done by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, which ah, cracks your attention yeah, instantly. Really? But they've announced that the Flash will be Barry Allen. It's not going to be another version of the Flash because no. there's like I think there's like three or four of them or something. Right. You know what? You and Don are going to have to. Just this one out because I really gotta pee. And also, I am fucking roasting in this podcast tent that we have. It's so warm in here, but I really gotta go to the toilet. So, you guys, chat about these things. I'll be back. Trying to get in this thing, like. <laughs> um, so, who's Barry Allen? Barry Allen is the Flash. So, I think uh, I can see how great you're gonna be. In yes, it's gonna be you talking. <laughs> but, um, not yet. I like I I'm not a big comic book guy. I like I love all the movies and all air, but I'm not. Actually, I've never actually really got into the comic books. Right. But I'm I've really gotten into the the Flash the TV show. 
And it's all it's Barry Allen and that was all. And I really enjoyed the first series I heard just ended there recently. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. It's a, like for a first season of a TV. I'm just going into the TV show now, which I shouldn't be doing. But <laughs> <laughs> for the first season of a TV show, they they bring in a lot of stuff, and like it it ends up being like a, a story about time travel and all, and it's like really kind of they they delve deep into kind of like sci-fi stuff, nice. and it's really cool. And that's why two things that make me excited about the Flash movie is that I enjoyed the Flash TV show so much, and also it's being do- the story's being done by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Who did Twenty One Jump Street and the Lego Movie and all there? Like, did you, do you like Chris Lord and Phil, or Phil Lord and Chris Miller? I always mix up. I haven't seen a single film by them. Have you not seen Twenty One or Twenty Two Jump Street? Nope. Or the awesome. Lego Movie? I have returned, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, The Flash is going to be played by Ezra Miller as well. Who's Ezra Miller again? The tall kid from Parks and Wolfsburg. Oh, I like him. Yeah, uh, we need to talk about Kevin as well. Yeah, we need to talk about Kevin. Actually, he's such a really interesting choice because he's actually he's, he's one of these young actors that, that I've, I've seen as a kind of two performances that are in the main public eye. Uh, like you just said, Parks and Wolfram, we need to talk about Kevin. But he is phenomenally creepy. <laughs> he is a phenomenally creepy man. Even like, but he seems really rounded because the two films that I've seen is like, we need to talk about Kevin, but he, you know, he's. Necessity is creepy, yeah. And then Pressure being a wallflower, where he's this young, free gay man, and and he's actually really refreshing. He's the complete opposite of creepy, he's actually yeah. like the, the film's part and the, the thing that kind of drives it on through it. So, I mean, I've, I've been I've been looking at him for a while, I think he's got a lot of talent. Well, I'd say that's the future. more side of him we'll see as the flash, yeah, thing. yeah. Which but I'm, I'm just, really looking forward to. I'm just saying, from those two performances, it, it seems that just some, simply because of that. Uh, contrast of the two performances I've seen. He seems like he's got a lot of talent. Okay, let's move on. Shooting has started on Deepwater Horizon. It's a story set on the offshore drilling rig Deepwater Horizon, which exploded in April 2010, resulting in the worst oil spill in U.S. history. Starring Mark Wahlberg, Kate Hudson, John Malkovich, and Kurt Russell. Mm. I th- I think it's a bit odd to to be doing a film about the oil spill. Yeah, the the thing I'm worried about in here now, because I actually haven't heard about this film, is that that was actually a, a, a pretty big fucking deal, and it was it was actually a huge tragedy. And yeah. the fact that not, not for all the oil that was lost or something, but the, the the environmental effects of that, and I'm not saying that you know. I'm, I'm well, the actual explosion as well. It, I think it was eleven people died and sixteen people got injured. Yeah, I'm just from what I'm hearing here. Who's directing it? Because I really Peter Berg. Yeah, I really hope they're not going down the, the standard kind of. Disaster movie because I think that would be a bit fucking disrespectful. Well, Peter Berg did Lone Survivor with Mark Wahlberg as well, which is based on another true story. Yeah, well, I mean, like obviously, I think he handled that pretty carefully. Yeah, but it's just like hearing. I see that. That's the thing. I just think it's odd, but if it's handled right, mm. but see, I can't really, I can't really see a way where it kind of ends and there's. Yeah. A, like no, you can't come out good because yeah, it was a terrible because, I mean, tragedy. Lone survivor. I mean, I can fucking says it in the title. You know, yeah. I mean, the fact that he survives on his own is, is kind of taking the, the the best thing out of a bad situation. But there's no way there yeah, that they can end that oil rig film well. There's going to be no happy end, yeah. unless maybe that's the point. Unless maybe Aye, well, a, a doubt around and, and, it's, the fact, and they want to you know reflect that that could be a very good thing. I just and think it's a bit odd. It's it's a strange one for a for a kind of yeah definitely a, a, a film because. Obviously, most audiences, and it seems like it's going to be pretty big budget. Maybe studio funded. I could see it that you know, if maybe an independent studio tackled that, like a Miramax or something, who could maybe take risks and, and maybe aren't already 
kind of appease your 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 happy ending viewer. Man. But uh, yeah, that's a bit of a strange one, mate. Don, what do you think? Don, what do you think? See, when you spoke to Don there, right? It actually seems like he forgot he was here. <laughs> yeah. He was fucking so zoned out. I was zoned out. He was there, sorry. <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, another trailer for Pixels has been released. Mm. Yes. We, oh, there. Try. <laughs> I'm chewing ice. Fuck. <laughs> Go, Don. Talk about Pixels. Pixels. Uh, it looks really good. It looks <laughs> fucking amazing. That's Don's. Uh, Review for the week there. There we go. Uh, <laughs> that's Don's recommendation to you, even though it hasn't been released. Uh, Pixels looks, it's the first time I've seen the trailer. We watched it just before we started the podcast. It looks fucking unbelievable. It looks really, really good. <laughs> I have completely, I was on the impression that it was uh, a Pixar and it was about these Pixels who were sent on this space. I got the fucking narrative completely, completely Definitely wrong. wrong. Uh, even, it was one of those ones that when they explained what the plot was the very start of the trailer, immediately I was hooked. It was like these video games have been sent from space. They fucking <laughs> ruin the earth. The, the sight of a gigantic Pac-Man rampaging through your city alone would fucking hook you in. Uh- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, Even the sight of Adam Sandler didn't put me off, which is... Mm. (laughs) See, that's, that's the thing. When I first heard about it, I heard Adam Sandler, I heard Kevin James, I thought, uh, uh, here we go again. And I was like, video games. I was I wasn't really on board for it, and even with the first trailer, I wasn't too on board with. It. But uh, I really I really like the visuals of it though, mm. like the way they've brought the video games to life and the way everything breaks up in the pixels as well. It's yeah. really cool. But uh, the thing that hooked me we watching this trailer was when they were introducing everybody, and I really like Josh Gad in the trailer as well. Yeah. But when they were introducing everybody and they got the Peter Dinklage character, and I can't mind his name and the thing, but they said he's the Donkey Kong champion, and he has the mullet and all. And I was like, is he supposed to be Bolly Mitchell from the King of Kong? <laughs> from the King That's of Kong, exactly what I thought too. And if he does, if he plays any kind of caricature of Bolly Mitchell, I'm going to love this. Yeah, one. <laughs> the King of Kong is the King. The King of Kong is a documentary about. A uh, guy trying to get the highest score in King Kong, and the current holder of it is a guy called Billy Mitchell, and it paints him pretty much as a bastard. <laughs> yeah, paints him. I mean, there's one of the few times that I watched a documentary where I actually seen a human being be a real life Super Bowl. Yeah, 
he just seems like he's even even the way he acts and even some of his lines seem so scripted, but they're not. That it sounds like he's fucking reading off a really bad fucking you know like yeah. He even, even has like a kind of uniform and all. Yeah, there? like he always wears like a, like a funny tie or something. He's got and... this thing for appearing in the background too. When the hero's <laughs> trying to fucking like save the day and stuff. Well, when I say save the day, let's put it in the context. Save the day means just do really good as Donkey Kong. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, no, I think that he might be. The, the mold for me, it has to be. It has to be a reference yeah, that it way. It has to be. But, I mean, I, I, obviously, you've noticed in the past couple of years, uh, there's been a major, major thing about, like, video games in cinema and, like, even self, self-referentiality in, 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 like, cinema for video games. Like, you had... There's been a lot of really good documentaries, like The King of Kong. You had Atari Game Over. You had Indie Game, the movie, which I watched recently, which is absolutely excellent. And it, it just shows that the trials and tribulations of how hard it is sometimes to get funding to get a game off the, the ground or to try and code it properly it really opened my eyes you know for someone who's not really that much a gamer was when I was a kid but not so much anymore I really felt for the people but then I was glad to see that the three you know games they were talking about were huge successes like it was Super Meat Boy Fez and another one I can't quite remember now but then you had like Wreck and Ralph which was just this like kind of love letter the, the video games mm. but I mean it, it worked on, on, on so many levels because you had it was a, a great really entertaining fun for kids and they could see you know video games and you know hijinks as they would say hijinks but then it was really good for maybe someone from the generation that uh, the filmmakers are from you know like the kind of late 80s early 90s like we were talking about last week you know people of that age are now old enough to be making films they're making films about stuff that they grew up with they love like yeah. you know arcade games and, and Sonic and Mario and stuff like that uh, I found that, I thought that was pretty cool. Again, my man, yeah, my phones me every time we do a podcast. Every time. Okay, uh, where are we? Okay, Pixar has released details about Finding Dory and the Good Dinosaur. They did a, I think they did a press event at Cannes where John's La- John Lasseter came out and gave some story details. So the Good Dinosaur. Why am I saying dinosaur word? Zor? <laughs> the good dinosaur is a cross between Tarzan and Lilo and Stitch. After an apatosaurus named Arlo loses his father and then finds himself far away from home, he meets and becomes friends with Spot, a human cave boy. <laughs> Lasseter stated the, the movie is a boy and a dog story, but the rules are reversed. In this tale, the dinosaur walks upright and speaks English, but Spot moves around on all fours and grunts to communicate. Do you want to talk about good dinosaurs? It just sounds fucking like an LSD (laughs) 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 It sounds like it's going to have the more popular Pixar first 10 minutes, like a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. It's, like, it's to start off. His father dies. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. The thing is, they're never topping the first 10 months off. Nah, which is probably the greatest drama I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Finding Nemo as well starts off pretty brutal. It's super sad. Yes, it's, it's gotten the whole I just love just, just making me I, pretty sad. I mean, like, up, it's like, it starts... Like, maybe Pixar films aren't actually funny. It's just you're that bummed out, like, anything will put a smile on your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you could watch fucking, like, the first 10 minutes of up, and then they could show you, like, the whole eight hours of Shoa, which is essentially <laughs> an eight hour documentary about Holocaust testimonials and that would still look more upbeat. <laughs> um, okay. For Finding Dory, it was revealed the story takes place only six months after Finding Nemo's ending. As expected, the story will uh, revolve around Dory and Nemo going on a new adventure. 
This time they're searching for Dory's parents, who will be voiced by Diane Keaton and Eugene Levy, which I quite enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> Always get lost, these fish. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dur- it's a big seamer. <laughs> Dur- during the Jews' uh, journey, they'll encounter shipping containers which fell off boats, a giant squid, a kelp forest off of California's coast, and a well. Oh, sorry. Uh, and as well befriend an octopus and a whale shark. Do you know what would be kind of crazy where it's talking about the oil spill film? If Pixar incorporated the oil spill and they find Nemo. I actually thought that as it was yeah, reading. Pretty sure film. <laughs> <laughs> they just do, they do it as like an environmental film and Dory like, dies in the first yeah, 10 minutes. There's a downer start. <laughs> Everyone dies. Everyone dies. And then the, the next hour is just them floating in oil. And it turns into just a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically telling like a whale in like the cove or something. Yeah. <laughs> you just brought the podcast down. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Okay. I'm, um, here fucking, I'm here to be intellectual, baby. Well, moving to topics now, because there's, there's not much to say about Pixar things. They're going to be great, probably. We're going to move into topics? Right. Hot topic. <laughs> I like that. That's our jingle for the topic section. No, I stole it off the Doug Benson thing. Oh, no, no, no. Come on, Mickey. We can't be plagiarizing. We're like four episodes deep. Uh, who wants to go first? I went first last week. Uh, okay, I'll go first. Boom. My topic is... I don't know why I've readjusted myself there. Like It's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be really important. But, uh, <laughs> it should be important, Michael. Uh, no, I wanted to talk about remakes and just kind of generally about remakes. Um... Uh, well, what's your general opinion when you hear about like a film is going to be re- remade, and what films do you think they should remake? Oof, I mean, oh Jesus, it's definitely a case by case basis sort of thing. I think there's some films that should remain untouched. I mean, like the Stone Cold classics, these films are just popping in my head, like the likes of Chinatown, and the likes of obviously the, maybe this is a very obvious point, but the likes of, like the Godfather and stuff like mm. that should never be remade no, because never. that is the best that. You could ever do cinema. You're not going to improve it in any way, and if if anything, you're just kind of going to sully its its sort of reputation by by remaking it. Uh, and people will go see it, and fair enough, it'll make money, which is probably the main aim of of doing these things. But uh, yeah, of course, I don't think that there's any point in doing that. Stuff that I think is ripe for remaking is uh, I think there's a lot of genres, a lot of different films. The first thing they pop into my head is maybe a lot of B-movies. B-movies in the 50s and stuff like that that maybe didn't get a lot of attention that were really, really excellent. But because they were B-movies, they were really little seen. They just kind of, you know, been forgotten by history, you know, forgotten by time and stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't know. I hadn't actually pre-thought about this, but the first one that shoots something in my head is uh, Gone Crazy. It's, uh, it's, I think it's a 1952 uh, B-movie. It's pretty much like a you know, sort of a film noir thriller about uh, basically this uh, young man, a young girl who meets at a, a carnival and then just starts going about and fucking robbing banks and shooting people and stuff like that. And uh, it was really kind of controversial at the time and it had like a, a really sort of modern mentality. And even watching it now, it, it, it feels fresh, even though it's like fucking, I think it's over 60 years old at this point. But... A film like that, this lesser scene, they, they thrust that in the, a, a wider audience. Obviously, you're never going to capture how shocking it was originally, and you're never going to capture that freshness that it had. But I think that maybe even if you were to remake it, you know, shot for shot, even if you were to do 
that narrative again. Fair enough, it's a, it's a well-tread narrative now. Bonnie and Clyde. So. Yeah, exactly. It's a well-tread narrative now. Well, we never remake Bonnie and Clyde. No, 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 it's a well-tread narrative now, but even if he, he kind of kept some of the aesthetics and, and, the, and, and the stylistic choices of it, I think it'd be good. He kept that stripped-back sort of sort of nature that it had because, I mean, it was shot on fucking buttons. Like it was shot on a, a couple of thousand dollars or whatever. Uh, other films that are ripe for remaking... I don't get the horror remix to be honest. I don't get the Halloween. Uh, I don't Rob get the Halloween. Halloween's, you know, like I said, you know, like I said last week. What? Oh no, the Halloween remake. Okay, right. I thought you were talking about the characters. No, no, no. Whoa, <laughs> me a fucking seizure. Like obviously, uh, John Carpenter. Uh, like I said last week, one of my favorite directors. Uh, the likes of Halloween and stuff like that. I don't really get horror remix. Fair enough. Yeah, you're trying to throw them on the new audience and get and get the thrills and make money, which is the main thing. But. Uh, I don't get horror remix because it's just the same scares and the same shocks and you know it's usually done in a really rehashed manner they don't really give a shit about the story anyway so it's really just put out there for people to fucking spend money on and then and, and knock up the <coughs> box office I think that the, the, the best remix are ones that take the original source and look at it from a different angle instead of just literally maybe not do it shot for shot but just retell an art of and maybe spice it up with, with certain things I think it's it's the ones that that do take it uh, in a in a different angle. Can't quite think of one at the moment, but yeah. hopefully one of you can. Scarface. I'm just gonna mention Scarface again because <laughs> <laughs> it is a remake. Yeah. yeah, of course. Which I forgot in the first. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, True Grit? Yeah, yeah. There's actually. But they, uh, the Coen say that is not a remake. It's a re- they, it's, rehash. No, it's based on the. Uh, they're saying it's based on the book where the first one wasn't or some shit. It's a reinterpretation. Aye, well, mm. whatever the fucking Coens say. Yeah. <laughs> Only the Coens could say it. Yeah. <laughs> Only the Coens repeat. But I, I do give it a shame. The fact yeah. that it's not a remake of the, the actual the visual art. It's, it's, it's based more on the book. And that, yeah, that, that's actually a perfect example. Now that you've brought up True Grit. Uh, the first one, obviously, the, the kind of John Wayne classic. And then I think the second one gets more in-depthy how you like kind of bad a person Jake Gillies is mm. or not Jake Gillies that's fucking that's Chinatown what is the character's name from fucking it's on the top of my head it's on the top of my head it's not Rooster Cogburn it's an orphan uh, uh, that's, that's it that's it that's it Rooster that's Cogburn it. Rooster Cogburn oh Rooster Cogburn well, there you go then <laughs> uh, I think that where the Coens went for it is that John Wayne in that film, yeah, it's 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 an in-depth look at like how the, the old West is dying out and how this you know kind of violent man should you know try and you know, pull himself back in and and and, and maybe he realizes that he's come down to his teller and there's this kind of theme of, of death around the book and even the John Wayne film, but it's presented in more kind of like a studio style, you know, it's the late sixties and you know there, there, there's there's kind of Brahmin optimism there, whereas I think the obviously the more modern uh, Lee interpretation of the Coen's one, it's it's a lot grimmer. And at the end, it was a scene that always stuck out in my head where Jeff Bridges' uh, character is, is running with with a girl in his arms who's just been bit by a snake. And he falls on his knees and he literally can't run anymore to try and get her help and she ends up losing the arm. But it's him kneeling there and I think his lines, I've grown old. And it's just such a, a sad line because mm-hmm. not only does it allude to how many, and he can't be this you know cowboy and this badass anymore, but I think it goes more in alluding to the fact that it's kind of the death of the West. Mm-hmm. Because when True Grit originally came out I think in 67 it was kind of coming to the point where westerns were dying out and I think that mm. maybe it had more power back then but it does allude to the fact that the, the westerns used to be maybe the, the biggest genre in American cinema and now they're almost like a, a wee niche thing that you, you see like a, maybe a, a, 
a wee western release every couple of years yeah. like a throwback to, to yeah. that great genre and a, and a, and a, a reinterpretation of it that and a, a lot of the times like I, I kind of love Liberty you know but uh, I think that, that that text like that which could be maybe reinterpreted or seen in a, in a from a modern perspective or texts that could be maybe used as an allegory for what's going on in the world today I think that are, are, are forms that but unfortunately you know yourself I mean, we're talking about Hollywood and stuff like that and Hollywood I think most times unless it's maybe an independent studio or something where they care about engaging you thoughtfully they just care about what's in their wallet well I think remake everything <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't fucking matter we're all gonna die no not even that <laughs> Jesus God it's if they're gonna remake it if it's good then great it's good yeah old boy was fucking fantastic and they remade that and it was shit right well okay right let's take old boy the new the remake old boy was shit yeah you can still watch the first old boy yeah, <laughs> yeah. it yeah, doesn't I, affect I, it I agree with what you're saying basically what I was saying is I was just posing the question of you know films that might be ripe for you know reinterpretation or remaking I understand where you're coming from the yeah. fact that even if they are remade it doesn't really <laughs> yeah, fucking does, matter you know maybe because you not, can just ignore <laughs> You can ignore it in your own mind and just enjoy the first one. Well, and if, and if mm. other people don't enjoy the remake, then fair enough. It might sully its it, reputation by association, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Well, uh, when, uh, when's from the like last... a personal standpoint, yeah. like you still enjoy the original, so fuck the remake of the shit. But if yeah. it's good, then you have another. Do you have another thing to add to one of your favorite yeah. films? Exactly. And as well, I mean, like they say, variety is the spice of life. So the more films being released, even if they are remakes or rehashes, if they can do it in somewhat way differently, or they can improve on it in certain ways, or make you think a different way, or if you just, on a very basic level, enjoy the film, I might fucking have. Yeah, actually, Mickey, you turn me on that were one. Were you going to say something, Tom? I've kind of gone blank a wee bit. Okay. Jesus. Well, <laughs> what else? <is> after, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, buddy. After, after I've said remake everything, I do have a few stipulations. <laughs> oh, yes, there we go. No, but I think there is... The whole argument's collapsing already. <laughs> no, I think, as, as you said, that there are certain uh, films, like classics, that there's there's no reason they touch it. And I have a very specific thought in mind of Jaws, because they have... There was talks about a Jaws remake. I think they're just always kind of trying to remake Jaws, but they're trying to find a way to do it. But... If they did a Jaws remake, it would just be another shark attack film yeah. and slapping the name Jaws on it. It because it can't be Jaws because the thing that made Jaws special it's it's the human characters in it. Yeah. It's not about the fucking shark attack. Exactly. It's the human characters and their how their relationships go and just them people. And so if you did a remake that you can't recreate. You, well, you can get people to play those characters again, but it's not going to be the same thing. Yeah. And it's it's just specific things like that air that's it's near like lightning in a bottle kind of thing that you, there's no point in remaking them because it's just not going to be this. It's going to be a film of that genre just slapping the name on it. Yeah, I think um, which says well, I agree. We why remix shouldn't have certain films like classics. Classics are obviously classics for a reason because at the time they were so kind of genre defining or they were uh, so original at that point. And because they are so original, they influenced so many films after it. So like you were saying about the Shark Attack film, I mean, obviously it would have been Jaws that influenced all those Shark Attack films. And now, if Jaws was remade, it'd be like, well, what's the point? Because every film that came after that is just a rehash of it anyway. Exactly. And it's not going to have the same power. Whereas the reason that Jaws is so good is because it brought all the, 
these narratives and all these kind of styles and 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 how that how that genre convention works to to our attention, you know, or, 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 and their lives. Uh, I think that that's the reason too that you know, like I say, that the chain of towns and the, the Godfathers wouldn't work because of that. Do you want to go on to your topic then? Yeah, my topic is three D cinema. Is it necessary? Yes. Oh well, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, fuck, we're gonna argue on this one too then. Oh yeah, baby. Uh, the reason I say this is that I've never really been on the three D. I'm one of these kind of—I wouldn't say a hitter. I understand why it's there, but I've always seen this. I'm not a hipster. Oh I'm man, get hey, to the I, classics, man. Hey man, no, it's not even. That. I just made a day. It's not even that day. Well, it's hard to be a hipster when freaking you know. I mean, I actually done a bit of story on this. And I was very surprised. I always knew the golden era of uh, well, what's considered a golden era, three D, is like uh, the, the early 1950s and stuff, where they kind of used it for. Uh, kind of B-movie horror films and stuff like that and it was used yeah. more as like a marketing tool like the, the House on Haunted Hall and stuff like that uh, but I actually found out today which I did not realise that the first 3D film ever was in 1922 struggling to remember the name of it now but what's even sadder is that because this is such a, a huge thing in film history it's, it's actually a lost film yeah so it, it, right. it, it, it didn't make it it was, it was like the it didn't make it through the, the transience of time as they say but uh, obviously the reason I've never liked it is because I think if you have good visuals, you have good visuals, and I've never seen what 3D can add to it. I can give you a bit of depth, and you know, maybe someone can shoot out of the screen, but maybe I'm just a hitter on the fact that I think that's all it can do. I, I find it very just overrated, to be quite honest with you. Anytime I want to see a 3D film, it's never enhanced my, my pleasure of that film whatsoever. Even Avatar. I mean, yeah, a couple of bubbles came out and stuff like that. But if anything, it's just, it's just it's just a hindrance. And as well, you know, on a more basic level, it costs you like an extra fucking two pound, two pound fifty. Well, not so, anymore. Doesn't that? No, as long as you have the glasses, it doesn't cost you anymore. Either way, I mean that that was just a, a, a lesser point to it. I just don't see the necessity for it. Uh, I do think it's it's gimmicky. I do think it's 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 uh, kind of a money making tool. I would much rather just watch a film flat 2D because I think you can engage with it more. When there's so much stuff going on and things coming on the screens, I actually think that it's more kind of taken away from you focusing on the, on the film or the narrative itself. And in, in a very ironic way, I think that things popping out of you, uh, you become maybe a wee bit overawed and you don't actually focus on the visuals, which, you know, the, the 3D is trying to enhance. Uh, yeah, I've, essentially, I've never seen a film in, in 3D where I've thought, Jesus, the 3D really made that film. Jesus, that, that really, you know, done it for me. Yeah. I, I do think that it's it's just a way of uh, spicing up song that... It's just a way of spicing up an narrative that uh, it's, it's, it shouldn't even be there. I really like 3D, but I can concede the most of the things you just said. That it is a gimmick and it is a money make tool. And that's the way, that's, I think that's the reason why 3D has never taken off. I mean, you said it, it was, the first one was in the 20s, then the 50s, it was there in the 80s, it's here now. It comes about every 30 years, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was... And um, the thing is, is that it is it is a gimmick and they use it to make money or to stop piracy and all air. But... I do, th- I do think it can enhance a film, and I think with films like Avatar and even Gravity, uh, not uh, not necessarily stuff coming out at you, but the depth it can add. That 
I've been in the cinema sometimes and at a three D film, and when it's done well, the screen looks like a window. Yeah, and you you can see through it, and I think it adds it can add a lot if it's used right. The problem with three D is that it's not used right a lot. Yeah, and why it is a gimmick is because that the the studios use it as a gimmick. They use it. They stick on an extra couple of quid, even yeah. though they don't. It's not. I think it's still in some places, but specifically they also it doesn't. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, they use it as a gimmick, and they do bad versions of three D. They do yeah. they do post to they do post uh, production conversions on it instead of shooting in three D. I mean, dread in three yeah. D. Very good 3D. The slow mo bits in 3D was amazing. I seen it in the cinema. It was we awesome. Dread every week as well. I know. <laughs> Dread is really our, our golden boy on this fucking podcast. Good follow, man. But uh, yeah, 3D is good when used right. I'm not saying every film has to be in 3D, but that's the way they do it when 3D gets big. And that's the, the problem isn't with 3D. The problem is that people stick 3D yeah, on it. And then it gives 3D a bad name. And everything you said is right about 3D, but it shouldn't be. You can I... use it right in specific uh, situations. And I actually went, when I was at uni, the uh, 3D kind of talk. Yeah. And there's actually these companies that specialize in shooting in 3D. And they showed us, they showed us fucking Strictly Come Dancing in 3D. <laughs> and it was just people dancing. Around. But because it was shot properly, it was good. They showed us a Kylie Minogue concert in 3D. <laughs> and because it was shot properly, it it added something to it. Paint drying in 3D. <laughs> yeah, but that—that's the problem with three D. That they don't use it right. They use it as a gimmick, and that's why it is a gimmick. You can use it if you use it correctly and use it with respect and know how to shoot in three D. It can it can add something to a film. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the longest you've ever spoken this podcast. Uh, I'm very passionate about 3D. Yeah, it seems a joke. It, it annoys you should, me. You should, you should be very riled up. I do agree with what you're saying. I think, uh, from a very cynical viewpoint for myself, I think that uh, since the kind of second coming or, or the second dawn of, of, of 3D since Avatar, that it is just an afterthought. I mean, I don't think that uh, a lot of studios actually make a film with the intention of going, oh, let's really look at 3D's capabilities and let's really enhance this film. It's like, Oh, let's just do it in post production, like you were saying, exactly. and then you know we can fucking you know sell two different versions of the movie, two D and three D, and try and you know enhance our box office in that sort of way. Uh, also, uh, in regards to three D, you were you were talking about like why it died in the first place. I done a bit of research today, and apparently the first time that three D died is because it, it was it was too hard to project. It was two prints having to go simultaneously, yeah. which I find pretty interesting. But what I did find interesting is that, and I, I think uh, historically, uh, this this may be a good point. It could be an absolute fucking bullshit point. But the reason can I can I bet what it's going to do? Well, it's going to be bullshit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the reason the three D was introduced in like the kind of early nineteen fifties, and the reason they were trying to do, do all these marketing gimmicks to get audiences back into cinemas, is because it was around the time of the dawn of TV, and people weren't going to cinemas anymore. Nah. And they want the people back in there, you know, because obviously at, at that point it's kind of crazy to think that but cinemas were kind of dying out a wee bit. They were kind of like a, a forgotten. It was it was almost like oh that was that was a niche for a while, and, and we're just kind of gonna put that to bed. But then obviously they disappeared for a long time because you know 3D has very gimmicky and they didn't use it right. 
and then when it got the reintroduction with Avatar, like like what two thousand eight or something like that. Well, it was it was it, it, it was, it was always back in the eighties. Yeah, it was it was around, around the eighties too. But I mean, 13, it, it was kind of like a false dawn in the eighties. Yeah, but that, yeah, but then it came back in a big way, obviously in two thousand eight. And a lot of people have said that the reason it came back in two thousand eight was they fight off the global threat of like you were saying piracy. So it seems like yeah. in the two major uh, instances where three D's become a big thing again, it has almost not been done in a way to enhance cinema, but almost a reaction to cinema dying or cinema losing money. And I think from a very cynical, again, viewpoint, you could say, well, really, is there a necessity in the fact that it's obviously not being done for artistic merit, it's being done for financial merit. But that's my topic, and that's all i got to say about that. Don, anything to add? 3D films. I haven't seen a 3D film no. yet, but what I will say is uh, I was doing fine watching films before I don't you know I, said, I don't need 3D yeah you know, if I want a 3D I would go to fucking I don't know Disneyland or something I don't know <laughs> go to the theatre <laughs> <laughs> interestingly enough I've seen posters outside uh, the Mining Forum which is a local theatre and like some some of the posters say in 3D right yeah how the fuck's that one it's like they, they have like lighting effects or something and you have to put on 3D glasses what? <laughs> 3D glasses. Oh, that's, just, uh, yeah. that's metal. But they're in real life. Why would you need 3D? Like that's <laughs> weird. Like because they, they, like... they obviously have some kind of visuals that you need to pop on. But they're using them as a cell. <laughs> they're right in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to the shows. I've just seen the posters. Oh, that's fucking hell. The world's gone mad. I've printed a few of them. <laughs> um, oh, Don. So it's your topic. I'm going to be talking about uh, Jim Carrey's legacy. Basically, I think he's going to be in about 50 years. Look back as sort of like the Charlie Chaplin of our generation that's just a comic absolute genius and I was wondering what your thoughts on that was I agree wholeheartedly yeah, yeah. I mean uh, I know Sean Coyle hates Jim Carrey and slags mm-hmm. off his entire back catalog what <laughs> I fucking love Jim Carrey yeah apparently. he slagged me off for watching The Mask <laughs> but The Mask was my favourite film as a kid hey and then he slagged it off hey but I mean it hasn't did it well but it's still that's what fucking obviously created my love for Jim Carrey it hasn't aged well let's be honest Mickey Except my, the hat, fact that my hand is currently Shanko's face. Tonight is night. This is the intervention. Except the fact that the mask is not ageable. The mask is good. I'll, I'll still oh, watch it. He, he, he can't let it go. He's an addict. He's an addict. I'm, 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 I'm not, saying, I'm not say, commenting about how he's aged. I'm saying I can put on the mask and still enjoy it. I think I, I totally agree as well. I love Jim Carrey. And I think obviously being 90s kids, he was the, the first oh, powerhouse comedy yeah, actor yeah, we definitely. see. And I think he had just such a string of big hits when you were maybe kind of first becoming aware of cinema. Like, the mask. mask, cable guy, liar, liar. Well, the cable guy was a flop. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, the, the fucking. I know, I liked it as well. Liar, but liar, Ace Ventura, you know, films, I guess. And it just seemed like Jim Carrey was just like knocking on the park constantly. Did you say Dumb and Dumber? Oh, Jesus, Dumb and Dumber, of course, the biggest of all for Christ's sake. Although not Dumb and Dumber 2, which. We're talking about his legacy, not the death of his legacy. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he was doing hat after hat, and I think that. As a kid, because his comedy stick back then was so energetic and, and, and cartoonish, yeah. he appealed to kids, especially of our age, so much. He is a loving cartoon. Man. He is. I mean, <laughs> the man literally talks out of his ass. In <laughs> <laughs> Ace Ventura, the man literally speaks from his hole. You know what I mean? So, well, actually, now that we're talking about cartoons, there was an Ace Ventura cartoon. There was right. a mask cartoon. Dumb and Dumber as well. Yeah. Was there a Dumb and Dumber cartoon? Yep. I've never seen this. That's brilliant. Is it as good as Dumb and Dumber 2? No. <laughs> it's not as good as Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> it must be awful. <laughs> it's really bad. 
Uh, <laughs> I, is there seriously? There is I never that. knew that. But is it, is it like for kids or adults? It's for kids, but um, it's actually about two pet beavers. As a, <laughs> as, a, as an angry beavers. <laughs> Oh, I remember Angry Beavers. Oh, let's not go on. I know. We're talking about you. He's too good to go on a tangent. The way he's too good for a tangent. The way you said as well, you kind of opened your arms. Like, oh, do you remember Angry Beavers? Like, let's go on the tangent talking about this moment. <laughs> I had to cut that short straight away. But uh, I think with Jim Carrey too, it's like when you're first watching like films as a kid, he just has this unbelievable energy and this unbelievable charisma that no other actor had Man. and it just made him stand out from the crowd and, and, and made him so much more appealing I, I think not just I mean like even more so appealing to kids because you know like we were saying he almost, he almost was back then like a human cartoon mm. but he, but even adults he, he was like this huge boost of energy in the market and I mean like he just fucking box office dynamite back in you throw him in anything and he just, it would just excel mm. uh, I like as well that um, it, it goes slightly off point, but it's still about Jim Carrey. That he was seen maybe as the biggest comedy actor of the nineties, and you know has this legacy. But I like the fact that he's kind of just dispel. I like when comedy actors just he's dispelled the notion that he's just a guy who tells jokes and talks out of his ass and <laughs> kind of acts a clown from you know some some of the dramatic performances mm-hmm. that he's done. I mean, obviously the one that everybody goes to is you know Eternal Sunshine in the Spotless Mind. Right. He's, he's more well rounded. And you usually get that with comedians now that are like they, they try and get a wee bit more serious and. And get a wee bit more maybe self-reflective, uh, and, and what he do throughout. But, well, the uh, Truman Show was kind of started that. Truman Show was another yeah. excellent film, and and that yeah, that, yeah, definitely because in the Truman Show, I think that's one of the first. Because the Truman Show, it's kind of crazy. I think I think it's only like a year and a half after the Cable Guy, but the <laughs> Truman Show is the I think one of the first Jim Carrey films where he doesn't play Jim Carrey. He, he doesn't play the clown who's going crazy and he's his ball of energy. He plays man. quite a reserved man who's still funny. But he's, he's really charming, and, he, and he's playing an actual character, not just mm-hmm. doing his own comedy shtick. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the Truman Show's a, 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 an excellent film, and uh, it becomes even more prescient with each passing year about like oh. people's obsession with reality TV and, and, and things like that. Yeah. We we forgot about him in Batman Forever as well. Oh, he yeah. was the Riddler. <laughs> well, I mean, all in all, even though that film was pretty puss. Like it's pretty good, Jim, really. Jim, 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 Jim Carrey is like fucking one of the true the, the few bright spots of that film. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. But, but uh Doctor E Enigma. <laughs> how, how, I mean like how was that not the night how could they not crack that like you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, I, Enigma. I nearly went on another tangent by fucking Gotham but No, we don't like <laughs> What's your opinion? I I was about to say something about uh what how you how you feel about Jim Carrey. As like a comic actor going into more serious films, but you just covered that there. Right? I covered that. There. <laughs> so essentially, what you're saying is you you kind of see him as like the the Charlie Chaplin or I really do or, yeah. or the Buster Keaton is they or maybe you know like the the, the John Chopper. No, it's not 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 John Belushi. He's he's the lesser brother. It's John Belushi. I was over. God love John Belushi. So he's always trying. He tries his best. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I totally agree. I think that I think that. That energy and that mass ball of energy, or sorry, that that mass ball of charisma that is Jim Carrey, hasn't been fully extinguished. I think that there is a script out there, or there is one film, maybe a swan song for his comic career or comedy career, where he could go out there and just go balls out of that bath crazy again <laughs> and just fucking recapture that former glory. Uh, which is, I think, like the last time he done it, which is a not even a guilty pleasure because it's just a good film, is uh, a series of unfortunate events. Which I, I think oh, it's, it's such, a, it's good such a good film. I think that's the last time that he's properly went for it with both teams, except until Dumb and Dumber Two. But 
it's right? it's really yeah. far, you know. I mean, it's 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 almost like let's try our hardest to kind of be dumb and dumber again, and let's just write really shitty jokes and obviously make it very apparent that the Farley Brothers comedy doesn't really work in the modern world anymore. But anyway, <laughs> I do think that th- th- there's a swan song out there for Jim Carrey. That man will talk out of his ass again. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, because were you bringing up like how you feel about him going to the more dramatic stuff? I think he 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 did some great dramatic performances like Grand Bad Sherman Show and even Man on the Moon. Oh, that was amazing. And uh, Eternal Sunshine as well. I think he's he doesn't need to prove himself as a dramatic actor. And I think there was there was a few years there where he was trying to do more dramatic stuff like with the number twenty three and stuff, yeah. and it just it wasn't really working for him. Yeah. And I think he does he does need to get, like Sean was saying he needs to get just a really good funny balls out of bath comedy like, yeah. and just just make us all laugh again Jim <laughs> you know what I mean? then again I would like to see more films like Man on the Moon because when you think about it he started off as an impressionist you know what I mean and Jim Carrey did yeah he's doing Clint Eastwood and all that and he impersonates Andy Kaufman Man yeah. on the Moon I'd love to see him doing like a, a go a Gary Oldman kind of path just for a while or at least for one film <laughs> I would like to see that just see, you know do you have anyone in mind who you'd like to see him do Stalin. Stalin? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Like, nothing really comes to mind. Like, But, you know. So you'd like to see him do another drama? I would have. He's really good at it. But see... But that, but after his comedy shit. <laughs> but see, I, I think that the nice... I think you brought up a really good point there, Mickey, is that because he's, you know, for many years now established himself as a, a really good dramatic actor, but then obviously he's seen as like a kind of comedy genius or a comedy legend too, he's got nothing to prove on either front. Yeah. So I think now he could... He could do either, and, yeah. it, and it wouldn't really matter. It wouldn't tarnish him in any way. Uh, I would just like to see him more because there's obviously this thing about Jim Carrey where, I, you know, he's, he's had his, his issues with you know kind of depression, and and I think he has like ADHD and stuff like that. And he's got his own personal demons, which you know a, a lot of the time as the case with, with comedians, you know, they laugh to hide the tears. Yeah. But uh, it's he's almost kind of went away from. You know, kind of public life recently. He's not doing as many films, and he, he's just one of those actors. You just want to see him more because not only is he the ball of energy that we've talked about, and he can fill in the dramatic role or comedic role so well, but he's just a nice reminder of your childhood. When I think yeah. of my childhood, one of the main things that pops out is fucking Jim Carrey and Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like the, the two main things I always think about, and it just it makes you smile. Maybe that's just a thing for people of our generation. But I'm sure it's the same for a lot of fucking people. And I'm sure that most of Jim Carrey's biggest fans are people who are our age, who grew up with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, like, you kind of late 20s, early 30s. Cool. Nice one. Uh, we'll go on the recommendations then and wrap this shit up. Yeah. I'll go first with a recommendation. Uh, for once, this week I've come prepared. I actually came prepared mm-hmm. with two. I was going to say social network, but then we, we kind of discussed Sorkin earlier on. So uh, my recommendation is uh, HUD. I think it's a 1963. Uh, I wouldn't really call it a western. It's, it's more like a kind of rural drama, if that is even a subgenre. I think I'm gonna made that up. But it's uh, it's Paul Newman, my favorite actor. Just to put that out there, like no one compares to Paul Newman. Uh, made just after the Hustler when he was, you know, try, just his star was really, really on the rise in Hollywood. And for him to do that film at the time, it wasn't glitzy, it wasn't glamorous. It was literally the stripped down kind of rural drama set in like I think it is a. Uh, the, the middle of nowhere, Texas, and he works in this farm with his uh, with his father. His father is this really uh, rigid, moralistic man who is you know just all about work and and, and religion and and, and kind of 
you know, driving the cattle and, and, and just loving his life in, in, in the best way possible. Whereas Hod is a young kind of counterculture, Paul Newman, he likes going out and they kind of philander and we, we married women, which was kind of, you know, a, 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 maybe a bit provocative for the time too. And he, he doesn't give a shit about the farm and he's completely and utterly uh, against everything that his dad is. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a really nice film because it shows uh, America at that time period when they're going through the early 60s of country culture. Obviously, I mean, uh, the, the more well-known ones are, are like, like the kind of James Dean, the James Dean's like Rebel Without a Cause when, you know, it was the first time that you actually ever seen youth on screen because until then youth were just kind of faltering on the background. They were, you know, seen and not heard basically mm. and you never really heard what they really felt or what they thought. And I think HUD is, is a really underrated one and, and, and given youth a voice at that time, even though in saying that, it also kind of, it's not just saying all oh, the youth are, are bad and they're counterculture and, and uh, you know, they should have their own way. It does kind of contrast with the fact that the, his father's not presented as a, as a dickhead at all. His father's actually, it seems like a really warm human being and, and the kind of arguments that, uh, that they have, it shows both sides' arguments. Why parents and why adults would feel that way, and maybe at that time in America, and when you know the kids would kind of feel that way, and the acting, anything with Paul Newman is superb. I can't remember the father's, uh, the actor who, who played the father's name, but some of their confrontations is absolutely excellent, and it ends on a really kind of uh, bittersweet note. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to spoil it in case anybody does want to watch it, but it's almost like a, a comment on a, a America and and kind of the, the the emptiness of youth sometimes, and not really knowing where you're going. And uh, yeah, I would I would a hundred percent recommend it, especially if if you are kind of in your twenties and you don't really know where you're going in life. I yeah. think it's uh, it's 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 you can attach yourself to it definitely. I need to pick up that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I'm gonna recommend. I've already mentioned the King of Kong. Mm. It is a very, very fun, good documentary. It's really good. Did that it's, like did that shit on your head during the podcast? No, I or? was I was planning on doing it anyway. Oh, just right. I knew it was going to bring it up because yeah. we were talking about pixels. But uh, it's 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 a story about just this guy. What's his name actually? Steve Weeby mm. trying to get the high the the high score on King of Kong, on the King of Kong, Donkey <laughs> Kong, Kong. <laughs> and uh, trying to get the world record for the highest score on Donkey Kong. And it's just it's it's such it's such kind of like a film made documentary. Like it has the hero, it has the villain, it has the sniffling sidekick. You know, it's, yep. it's so good and just so like. I mean, it it might sound really boring, like oh, it's about high score in a video game. But like even my girlfriend, who was not under the idea of watching this documentary, I made her watch it. She really enjoyed it, and it's just it's just a good good film. It's a good story and. You just hit Billy Mitchell there because yeah. he's a bastard. <laughs> what I've always found really interesting about the, the King of Kong as well is like you were saying before, because it it presents itself the first time you watch it, because it presented itself as like kind of just a really engaging standard narrative. I was like, no way in life could be this interesting. Yeah. Like, things are falling so perfectly in place, and I thought, no, some of this has to be staged and I read and it. I did hear that there was some criticism in the, in the Ireland, but you always get that with so, so many documentaries. Yeah. Like, Obviously, Edlin's always going to be a tool, and, and Edlin is always going to you know raise some controversy because essentially you're picking and choosing the things you could see at certain points. They they uh, they enhance the narrative in a certain way, but you know at, at the same time it it is entertainment, so that has to be done. But it is excellent, and like we were saying, around Billy Mitchell is like he's he's a real life like fucking Darth Vader. He's he's, 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 he's a real life bastard. Just. He has the same shaped head and everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I like it so much. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's mine. It's it's a great documentary. Just go watch it. Directed by 
Hawkeye named, named Seth something. He directed Horrible Bosses as well. But anyway, Don. Gonna recommend a film uh, called Conan and Tate, which is a very underrated film. It's uh, Roy Schneider and uh, one of the Baldwins, basically. And uh, it's an 80s it's film. Only Baldwin? Well, Could be. Once you get one of the Baldwins, it's all the yeah. Baldwins. Really. <laughs> 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 and, uh, <clears throat> the majority of the film, the only reason I bring it up because it reminded me of Locke, we were Ooh. talking about last week. It's the majority of a set in a car. It's about these two hitmen, Cornetate, who killed his family at the start, who are like sort of in the FBI witness protection program kind of thing. Yeah. And they kidnap the son because they need to bring him back to, uh, I think it's like just right across America altogether. And, um, <clears throat> but that's not even the focus of the story. You never find out why the kid needs to be brought back. It's just all about these two hitmen and a child in the back of the car. And it's just very intense. It's, just, it's like one of those tension films. just Almost that because... You don't know where the kid has to be brought back. Like the, like the vagueness kind of adds to the thing yeah. in a certain way. Yeah. That sounds pretty interesting. Obviously, because you know I'm a, I'm a massive lock fan. Aye. But I, th- I think that there's a lot to be there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, the main thing that kind of draws you on me a lot of scrubs. And if it's if it's done poorly, then it's just like you know what the fuck is going on, like Jersey. <laughs> but if it's done well, if if you have vagueness and a plot, and you don't know exactly why something's happening, yeah. the longer you can stretch that out, yeah. the more intense it comes, and the more it kind of grips you in. That do, not only for the lock reference that you give, but the, because of why you don't really find out where the kids being drawn across. I've loved it. I never heard of a film before. Right. Usually, anything that is recommended here. What year is it again? It's the eighties, anyway, oh, right. or, or early nineties. I'm not quite sure. Right. No, I'm definitely going to give it a watch because usually any film that's recommended, I would, I would kind of heard of it. Or I've, I've you know, heard certain things about it because I know all about films. <laughs> <laughs> but, but. Uh, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I haven't heard about that at all. I'm going to give that a watch. This time next week, I'll have a critical analysis. Excellent. <laughs> watch, watch the director's cut, by the way. Bam! Oh. 18 hours long. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the whole journey across everything. It's, <laughs> it's a pro tip there from Don. Watch the director's cut. Uh, <laughs> we done? We done? Yeah, I think we're done. Everyone's everyone got about everything. Let's get out of this fucking hot box. I'm actually okay with it now. It, it seems to have settled. Yeah, I I, I, kinda, I, I kept sticking my head out, the, out this fucking curtain thing that you've got going on to cut myself off during it. It's kind of brought myself around. I have just become used to it now. Like. But of course, we're all naked. And the last one I can't yeah. say that. You know, we've all stripped down during the podcast. And it is a fine sight. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode... Tell your friends about us. Help spread the word. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, whatever social media you use. You can also subscribe, leave comments, reviews on iTunes or any other podcast service. You can email us, suggest a topic, ask us questions on letstalkmoremovies at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Michael Breslin. Sean Cotter has been Sean Cotter. Yep. Don McLennan has been Don McLennan. Silence. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.